0: Maybe stick a finger there and hang on to it. Over a number of weeks, Bob has been preaching on gifts, grace, and goodness. That we, if we're believers, we're saved by grace from the wrath of God that is due all sinners. That we are to live in such a manner that is worthy of the calling that we have been called to. Remember in Romans 12 present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God. And We are brought into the body of Christ which is defined as the church, the bride of Christ which we're part of. Not only the local church here, Redwood Christian Fellowship, but the universal church, the Christian church that is throughout the world. The elders have been working on trying to help us to see and understand that we are members of a universal church. We don't want to be just local focused. We want to remember that there are other brothers and sisters in other parts of the world. We're doing this by highlighting the needs and work of some of our sister fellowships, our missionaries, some of the persecuted Christians throughout the world. Because it is so easy to fall into the belief that we're all that matters and whatever is going on here locally is all that matters. We need a God perspective. We need to remember that the church as a whole is always under the loving eye of our Father and the Bridegroom who will one day come to claim his own. To God be the glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. Last week, Bob began speaking more specifically about gifts of grace or gifts of the Spirit. We saw in Romans 12 that we all have at least one of these gifts. Some people have more, but we all have at least one. And that while they may all differ, they are all to be used to build up the church. This local fellowship that we're in and that you're participating in, and others that we can reach or have some influence on. I would like to continue with this thought a little bit this morning. I'm going to be using the whole letter of Titus, as I mentioned generally. I know this is a lot of scripture for a morning. I will not do it justice in the sense of the detail that is there. And I guess we could also be thankful it's not Psalms or some other book that I would never get through in a day. But before we do this, let's once again just just pray and Father, we submit ourselves to You and Your Word this morning as we read and ponder the passages of Scripture that we have before us. We ask that the Holy Spirit will help us as we search for meaning and application for those areas in our lives where we need to make changes to conform to Your Word and plan for our lives. We ask that You will point them out and help us to make those changes. We desire to serve you in a manner that is worthy of our calling, but more importantly, that brings you glory and honor. Amen. To help us understand the letter to Titus, let me give us some background and historical context. While we may be uh, wanting to... Have God just give us a uh, cut to the chase and just kind of tell us what it is you want us to know in a particular passage. That would be nice, I guess, in some cases, but it always, in scripture uh, study, uh, it is important for us to understand the historical context to a a passage and to a letter. you know who wrote the letter who is it written to what was going on at the time that that prompted the letter to be written uh, it is it is not right for us uh, to read something and maybe just go oh okay that means that i should do this without knowing what it was that was actually in place when the text was written i mean we can't we can't assume that the text was written for us today. We need to understand that it's actually written at another time to a particular event in church and by particular people and understand that before we start looking for application. And that's what I would hope to do a little bit today with this letter, having a little bit more understanding why it was needed. The book entitled The Letter of Paul to Titus or The Epistle of Paul to Titus is more literally translated from the Greek to Titus. The writer seems to be generally uncontested as the Apostle Paul, written sometime between A.D. 64 while Paul was ministering in the Macedonian churches. And I I won't spend time pointing at things, but I asked that a a map of that area be put up so you can kind of look for areas as I mention them. If this period of time is accurate, then Paul would have been released from his first imprisonment in Rome in just a few years before his martyrdom around A.D. 67. The letter was probably written while Paul was in Corinth or in Nicopolis and believed to have been delivered to Titus on the island of Crete by Zenus and Apollos, which we see mentioned in chapter 3 of the letter. The letter is written to Titus, who is a Greek convert, probably, of Paul's ministry. and It is believed that he was converted sometime before or during Paul's first missionary journey. Titus, along with Timothy, had become trusted traveling companions and close friends of Paul. Titus is mentioned a number of times in the New Testament. However, interestingly, Luke doesn't mention him by name in the, in the book of Acts for some reason. Titus ministered with Paul for a period of time on the island of Crete and was left behind to continue and strengthen the work that they had started there. Once Artemis, or, and I I practice his name, I don't know how many times this last week, uh, Titus, I believe, is probably the closest I'm going to get to it. Arrived in Crete, Paul asked Titus to meet him in Nicopolis where he intended to spend the winter. And We get all that from the letter. There's no reason to believe that this didn't take place as Paul was asking. In 2 Timothy 4.10, which is the last scriptural reference to Titus, Paul states that Titus had gone from Rome to Dalmatia and at some point he returns to Crete where tradition says he continued to lead the churches there and died peaceably at an advanced age, which is kind of rare for some of these men of the early church. In this letter, like the letters to Timothy, Paul gives personal encouragement and counsel to Titus, who though he's well-trained and faithful, faced continued opposition with ungodly men within the churches where he was ministering. Unlike other letters authored by Paul, he doesn't focus on explaining or defending doctrine in Titus. He obviously has full confidence in Titus's theological understanding and convictions. And he must also have confidence in the doctrinal grounding of the of most of the church members, even though more than likely a majority of them are new believers. This is most probably evident by the letter not giving any theological correction with the exception of warnings about false teachers and Judaizers, which we'll talk about a little bit as we go. Crete is an island southeast of Greece. It's bordering the Aegean and Mediterranean seas. The highest mountain on Crete is Mount Ido, which was famous as the legendary birthplace of the Greek god Zeus. Crete's also claimed to be the home of the half-mythical lawgiver Menos, son of Zeus, and the, uh, if you remember from your Greek mythology, the uh, half-bull, half-man Minotaur. The people are related to the Philistines. They were daring sailors and famous bowmen with a very bad moral reputation. Probably goes along with the daring sailor job. Not that I would know. The Christian church on Crete probably was started by the Cretans who were at Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost mentioned in Acts chapter 2. So, after hearing all this, what did Paul have to say to Titus and the Cretan church? And by extension to the church at large, a.k.a. us. Well, Let's start looking at the book itself, the letter itself in Titus chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life which God who never lies promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching of with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior, to Titus, my true child, in the common faith, grace and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Savior. Excuse me a second. The letter begins in a very typical format of the day by Paul addressing himself as the writer and identifying the recipient to be Titus. It's kind of convenient when they do that. Paul identifies himself in the opening verses, though, as a, most translations says a servant. I think some may say a bond servant, but this is, again, that word that we have mentioned before that actually translates as slave. He identifies himself as a slave of God. In an apostle of Jesus Christ. Not titles that we're used to hearing in a letter. I know I've, I've never used either one of those in the letter I've ever written. But Paul sees and understands his calling very clearly. That God was using Paul to call out a people for himself, all those who are to be saved. And to teach them the truth which is conductive to godly living. That's, that's actually a topic of this letter uh, that is repeated a number of times. Paul's ministry was aimed at both the salvation and the sanctification of God's people. And in these first couple of verses, verses, he, he addresses several great truths of Scripture. Salvation, which is God's purpose to save the elect by the gospel. Sanctification, God's purpose to build up the saved by the Word of God. And glorification, God's purpose to bring believers to eternal glory, which we all are looking forward to. I do want to draw your attention, though, to verse 1, where Paul says, "...and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness." This comment is important because Paul is speaking of the gospel truth, the saving message of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, for this is the truth that leads to godliness and sanctification. Without the gospel truth, it's impossible to live godly lives. We wouldn't even have a desire to do so without the gospel truth. There's actually so much more in the, even in this introduction that warrants much more time and detail that I don't have this morning. So in verse four, we see Paul identifying who he's writing the letter to, Titus, but addresses him not only as Titus, and not only for Titus's sake and the Christian church's sake, but he, he addresses him in a very fond manner. He sees Titus as a son. He calls him a true child in a common faith. This is one of the passages that some commentators use to conclude that Titus was probably converted during Paul's ministry. But it also denotes a a mentor-protege relationship that obviously exists between Paul and Titus. Either way, Paul and Titus had a unique relationship in the faith. Verse 5, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you, may, you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children or believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Paul immediately tells Titus in this verse of... of, uh, Uh, verse 5, the purpose of his letter and reminds Titus why Paul left him in Crete to continue the work of setting up the churches, getting them in order, and to appoint leaders for the churches. Paul addresses the qualifications for leaders here, which is, again, just another full sermon that you could go through on this alone. These qualifications... Uh, were to be used by Titus when appointing the elders over the churches in Crete. These qualifications are very important and, they're sti- and they still apply to leaders in the church today. The reason a lot of churches have problems today is because they appoint leaders who don't meet these biblical qualifications. Men who should not be in the pulpit, who should not be in the roles that they're in. But I want to caution us, especially those who may not be in church leadership roles, that you might believe that you don't have some standard of behavior or living that you're supposed to be trying to to live and abide by. God's standards are high for all believers. Remember, he says that we are to be Holy. Why? Because He is holy, right? This list of qualifications are intended to be set and modeled by church leaders, yes. But all Christians should strive to live by them. This should reflect your life too. In verse 9, Paul does address a responsibility unique to leaders and one that obviously is of concern to him in the churches at Crete. Not only must an elder meet moral and spiritual standards in his personal life, but he must also be a reliable man of the word. Paul says that an elder is, is a conservator of the truth, this truth, spiritual truth. An elder must be one who understands it, holds it fast, encourages others by teaching it, and refute those who oppose it. To be qualified as an elder, a man must be a capable handler of the truth. And at times this includes confronting sin and error in teaching when it arises. So the word of God is taught accurately. And church members are not led astray by false teachings and deception. Verse 10 says, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. Almost sounds like a uh, political party or something there. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith and not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Pretty harsh words, huh? But this is why leaders need to not only be able to teach sound doctrine and understand the Word, but need also to adhere to it with deep conviction. They need to know what the Bible teaches and believe that it is the absolute truth and be prepared to defend it. Paul addresses the false teachers of the, of the time that he's in, in the early years of the church, but we have them today. There were men in the Cretan church that was causing dissension and teaching in such a way that it was upsetting whole families. And then he takes the time to identify a false teacher. They're insubordinate or rebellious. They're empty talkers. And the first thing that came to mind was they just ran off at the mouth. And they're deceivers. In Titus, Paul specifically also identifies the Judaizers who insisted that a Christian convert also had to observe the law just as like a Jew would have to, including if you're male being circumcised, to be authentic. Paul instructed Titus to shut this teaching down. Church leaders today must not allow false teachers to get a foot into a ministry. They cause confusion and dissensions and unfortunately they always find an audience. There is the possibility however, there's a couple times in this letter that this is addressed that it is possible that a false teacher may not necessarily be teaching falsely on purpose. He's confused on doctrine or particular issues but it's the responsibility of the leaders to confront that and correct the person and point them to the truth. Therefore the false teachers were to be rebuked sternly with the purpose of bringing the teachers around to a sound doctrine and a sound faith. The purpose of all discipline should be to bring the person to repentance and restoration, right? We're not, we're not here to just punish people. When we practice church discipline, when it's practiced, and thankfully it's practiced rarely, um, the purpose is not to punish somebody, but it's with the hope of restoring that person to the faith. However, if the teacher does not submit and correct what he's teaching, then he's to be put out of the church. For he's a danger to the church. and must be removed. First verse of chapter 2 says, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. So Paul is, is doing us a favor here with not only saying what he needs to do, but then he gives a picture of what it should look like. And he tells Titus and the leaders there, in contrast to what the false teachers are doing, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. More literally, this is healthy teaching. That's what that means. And I think Bob talked about the word sound last week. So teach what accords with healthy teaching. Paul uses this word sound in this manner nine times in the pastoral epistles which are the two letters to Timothy and this letter to Titus. Five times here in Titus. Always in the sense that the truth produces spiritual well-being. Hearing the truth has results in a person. It has an effect upon people. The idea is also found in this sentence that certain behavior belongs to sound doctrine and other behaviors do not. We didn't read the uh, scripture reading because we were pressed for time this morning, but I had... Galatians chapter 5 and part of chapter 6, remember the gifts of the Spirit and the verses before that that talks about uh, you know, what an a, a, a unrepentant or a, a, a unsaved person looks like, the behaviors they have compared to what a believer has. There are certain behaviors that should not be associated with sound teaching. Remember what I said in the beginning. Without the gospel truth, it's impossible to live godly lives, and we are called to live godly lives. Our Christianity should not be a, a, a Sunday morning event. That this is this is our Christian walk. You come to church Sunday morning. It's something that takes place every day, twenty-four-seven no matter where you're at in the community. We're called to live godly lives. For believers to not only please God, but to be effective witnesses to those around us, we must know the truth that leads to spiritual health. Why do we need a... Why didn't we need to live godly lives? What are, what are we here for? Why did God not have this plan that once somebody's saved, he just brings them home and it's done? You ever think about that? Wouldn't life be a lot easier in our minds if that took place? We're secured for eternity and poof, we're gone. But how would the loss be reached? We're here to to evangelize our communities and our lost neighbors and our lost family members. But to have an effective witness, we have to live godly lives. If you don't look any different in your behavior then the guy you're trying to witness to, you're not going to have much of an audience. He won't listen to you. And I can tell you what his his comment will be, and it would be accurate. You're no better than I am. Because you have nothing to show that you're any different. Church leaders are responsible to teach the truths and doctrines of Scripture accurately, so it encourages believers and the members to seek godliness and to be effective witnesses in the community around us. I think sometimes we either don't know why we're here or we like to forget. Maybe we just get so busy, which is... Really not an excuse, but we get so busy with life that we forget why we're here. And that's to be a witness for Christ. Older men, verse 2, are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. Show yourself, he's talking to Titus, because Titus is a young pastor here. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. Why would God and and, and Paul in this letter specifically talk about good works again if it's not something that's important in the Christian life? Show yourself in, in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bondservants, which most commentators will also use that as translating more modern day as employees, are to be submissive to their own masters and everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering. But showing of all good faith, so that in everything that may adorn the doctrine, or in, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. So he he encourages or tells Titus and the leaders there in verse one, teach what accords to sound doctrine, and then he kind of gives a picture of what that looks like. He's describing the right sort of behavior that that should include. And in these several groups he lists in chapter 2, Paul covers almost everyone that makes up the local church. And I actually initially had everyone there, but I know they don't specifically say children, but it wouldn't be totally accurate if I said it covered everybody especially when you start understanding the age brackets that would be included in this time frame. But each group has responsibilities. But more importantly, they are being called to godly lives. When you look at the different things that are described in those directions, that's a godly life. That's what it looks like. He calls on the older men and women to mentor and example a godly life for the younger generation. There are many in this church that are older men and women, not only in age but in, in spiritual maturity. This would be addressing your responsibility. mentoring and and exampling what a godly life looks like. We do have this going on to some degree in Redwood Christian Fellowship. But this is where I would like to to get a little more personal. And I ask you to look into your own life. Are you fulfilling your responsibilities in this local church? As we've said, we're all given a spiritual gift for use in the local body. Do you even know what your gift is? Are you using it? Being part of a body should be something that we all understand since we all have one, right? It's pretty easy for us to cut this picture in our head. If you have that much problem, just reach down and pinch yourself. The picture of a body is a very good example that we're given. If a body part is not functioning properly, it can have profound effects on the rest of the body, can it? Church life is not just the duty of the leaders and a few people, which so often it becomes. It's the duty of all believers attending a church. Now, I understand and I do believe Scripture gives some leeway to those in particular circumstances or times in life that may make it more difficult to be more involved in church life, such as raising children and jobs that may take you away uh, a lot, physical health of yourself or family members, that type of thing. But for anyone not in these types of situations... You need to look around. The gift that you're not using in the church is a loss to the body at large. What are we not doing that we could be doing if you were exercising your gift in the body? We may be working without a foot or a hand if you're not exercising your gift. Imagine if you had to Do that with your physical body, how complicated life would be. I don't want to make you feel like I'm trying to beat you up this morning. But I do want you to see that for the church to be the most healthy, we all need to work together. There is no retirement mentioned in Scripture. In fact, with this verse to the older men and older women, it seems to me that it's exactly opposite. We're being called to continue to be an example and continue to reach out to the younger generation. We need you to take the time to learn about your gift begin to use it for the benefit of the church. We're asking you to work with us. Verse 11 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. There it is again. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. That, that passage is actually the, the heart of this letter. It emphasizes God's sovereign purpose in calling out elders. It emphasizes God's sovereign purpose in commanding His people to live righteously, to live godly lives. And with His purpose to provide a witness that brings God's plan and purpose of salvation to fulfillment and being a witness to other people. I actually have more that I could go through, but I'm just getting prompted that this is where I should wrap it up. He does go on, though, to talk about uh, another topic that we have heard recently, dealing in the beginning of Chapter 3, reminding them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. We've heard that recently, right? Why do you think we're called to do this? What kind of witness would we be if we constantly bucked authority that God placed over us? Right? And he goes on and and says quite a bit more. I I, I hope that I did not do an injustice this morning uh, by going through as much Scripture, but I do hope that that uh, maybe there's enough that has been said that you'll have an interest in maybe going home and finish reading the book or break out a commentary and take a look at a little more about Titus. It's a rich um, a rich book, rich letter that has a lot of uh, information that would benefit us all to, to be more acquainted with. But I think I mainly today just wanted to talk about, one, the leaders and their responsibilities. I know I didn't get into their qualifications uh, besides reading them, but the importance of leaders carrying through with their responsibility of sound doctrine and protecting the Word, and then all of us, not just you and the chairs out there, but even the elders, all of us as individuals living godly lives so that not only we can please God, but that we can be an effective witness to the community around us. Of course, if you're not a believer, there's no way you can live a godly life. Even as a believer, we struggle trying to live a godly life. But it's only possible because of the saving grace of Jesus Christ and, and, the, and the redemption that he has given us and, 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 and helping us through his Holy Spirit and his word to be able to live godly lives to the best of our ability here on earth. All these descriptions that are given in here will all be able to live much more fully in glory. We'll actually see what it's supposed to look like. We can only sort of see what it looks like today, living in the flesh. So while this was geared more towards believers, I I do want to take a moment that if, if you are here and you've never realized that you are worthy of wrath because of sin in your life, that you've never confessed that to to God, that you've never come to Him and, and asked for repentance and forgiveness and mercy. If you're not a believer, we hope that today you will pursue that. Maybe grab me at the end of the service if you have questions about what this entails and how to go about it. Ask Bob or Ted or... Just grab somebody. They'll, they'll point you to the right direction. But I do hope that you don't walk out the door today with uncertainty in your life of where you will spend eternity. And for those who are members here or attend here on a regular basis, I, I ask that you do spend some time reflecting upon Your role here in this church, your responsibilities here. You know, I point out a number of times, and most of them are gone, so there's so many empty seats in here right now than usual. But all the young kids that are here, the dedication that we did this morning with taking a commitment that we would be involved in helping to uh, encourage. A young child and a mother to raise her child in a in a in a Christian home. That doesn't happen by just sitting in a in neutral in a chair Sunday morning. It takes action. It takes proactivity to do that. So we encourage you to to spend time with God and and see where you stand with Him on this. And thank you for giving me a few minutes this morning. I, again, I'm not looking at trying to make you feel bad as you walk out the door. Uh, we do want to include you. We do want you to be an active part of this ministry. It, you will find when it happens that way that this works so much better. When there's more hands, I, 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 I hope on Saturday next week, which this would be a good hint for you, <laughs> I really hope on Saturday that there are more of you here than I have a work list to do. I won't let you go, but it would be nice to be at that point. And I actually did have something at the end of the message and I wanted to reflect on it. There are, you know, Bob and Ted and, and I, uh, you know, we're, we're very grateful that there are a number of people in this church who are very active. Many of them behind the scenes uh, doing things. Uh, of course we see the worship team and the various members that are involved and the audio and visual and sound that's, in, that's going on and uh, some of the people that we see, the ushers that are here and Readers at the door every Sunday, uh, Bible study teachers, people doing maintenance on the on the on the buildings. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes, and we, we we are grateful for that. We acknowledge that. We don't want to make you think that it's just the three of us doing things. Although occasionally it does feel that way. Um, but there are many who are involved in ministry here, and we thank you for that. So, uh, it just works so much better when we all work together, right? So, so let's sh- uh, shift into um, our communion. And actually, I, I was reading through the passage I just read a few minutes ago from two, chapter two, verse eleven. And as I was reading it again this morning, I just thought. What a perfect scripture for communion. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Now, this is not all people, all people. This is, needs to be kept in uh, some context. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works." So why are we even here playing church today? Because God saved us. We wouldn't be here if something miraculous didn't happen in our lives. If God hadn't have changed us and saved us and made this possible for us, my guess is church would be about the furthest thing that I would think of being doing on a Sunday morning. But we celebrate... Communion, thinking back on what Christ has done to us for us in the past, for what he's doing currently, and then for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ that will someday come, and he promises to come. And the only way, again, that we can possibly live godly lives is because of the results of what has taken place for us through Christ. So as the ushers come, I ask them to pass out the elements, please. If you are a uh, person who is not a Christian, just let the plate pass. Uh, This is intended to be for those who are saved. And if you are saved. You're invited to join us this morning. Take the element and just hold it. We'll celebrate together here shortly.
1: knew the right spirit Created me a queen. Joy of thy salvation and renew a right spirit within me.
0: Let's pray. Father, we come to you at the end of this service, again asking you to help us as we reflect upon this passage. I ask that you will use your Holy Spirit and your Word to speak to each of us that are believers here today over the next week. Help us to have a desire to know what our spiritual gift is that you've given us. and Help us to learn how to use that to benefit this local body and the church at large, Lord we pray that you will help us as a local body that you be with the the leaders here that you will give us wisdom and discernment that you will give us compassion and love that you will help us to stand strong against opposition and any false teaching that may arise to deal with the various aspects of, of, of doctrine and healthy teaching that we need to from scripture and help us when there's times of sin and error that we need to address that we will be quick to address it I pray that you be with all of us as individual members of this church that are here this morning that you will help us to desire to live Godly lives and help us to see not only in this text but others what a godly life looks like. And we understand, Lord, that we can't do this without you. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: We need you to continue to sanctify us and make us men and women who are able to reflect the various examples that we have in Scripture of what a godly life looks like. And we pray that you will do that in our lives. We thank you, Father, for the many blessings of today. We look forward to this new week that you have given us. And we pray for opportunities that we can go about in our life from day to day and be a reflection of you to our community. Titus 3, verse 4, it says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Hmm. Paul says that at the night that Jesus died, he was having a dinner with his disciples, thinking of them and thinking of us in the future. He wanted to give us all a a picture to be able to reflect upon of what was about to take place and the results of it. It says he took a piece of bread or loaf of bread and he gave thanks for it and he broke it and passed it among the disciples and he said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me And in the same way he also took Hallelujah, what a savior. Mm -hmm. Thank you for coming this morning. Make sure you check your bulletin and the church calendar online for events throughout the week. Hope to see at least some of you on Saturday. But go in God's grace and blessing upon you this week. Don't forget whose child you are.